Well, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly been quite a journey that we've been on over the last 18 months. Um, and of course, in many regards, it's a journey that we're still on, even though things are looking very different now, uh, right now, than they did. But, you know, who knows what lies ahead? But in that video that we've just seen, it was just a snapshot, just a small part of some of the amazing things that have happened. And in particular, some of the things that we've been able to celebrate and thank God for during this time, even during this very challenging time. God has been with us and God is still with us. And here we are in September 2021 <laughs> and another Vision Sunday. Uh, Vision Sunday is a chance to to kind of take stock and then to look forward. But of course, looking forward, it's really not easy at the moment because of the ongoing uncertainty. What's gonna happen as we get into the winter and all those kinds of questions. So, so I've been approaching this Vision Sunday thinking, you know, what on earth do I say here? What do I say? But there is one thing that is clear. And that is that God has given us a vision of being a diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. Now that hasn't changed. Strategies might change, structures in the church, systems might change, but that vision is still the same. And we believe that it's God's promise to us. He has many people in this place. And while we acknowledge the uncertainty that we're surrounded by, you know, those things that we're not in control of, those things that, that might worry us, the uncertainty we may feel in our own hearts. And it is important to acknowledge those things that are not in our control. This isn't, this isn't about pretending that there's not a problem or pretending that we're not affected by these things. Of course we are. But it is also important in times of uncertainty, it's important to focus on the things that we do know and the things that we can do, the things we can control. So I just wanna suggest three things today that, that we can get hold of and we can be intentional about, things that are, are in our control and that will continue to be in our control regardless of what changes around us. Three things that are essential for pursuing that vision that God has given us. First is to reconnect, second is to reach out, and third is to pray reconnect, reach out, pray. So first of all, reconnect. It is so important to reconnect with God's people. If you feel that that connection has been lost or weakened or to continue to strengthen and expand the connections that you already have, it's so important to reconnect for your own sake, but also for the sake of others in the church and actually for the sake of the world around us. And I'll explain that in just a minute that we grow in community with others. It's just how it is, how God has designed it, is how he's designed us to grow in community with others. And of course, the times that we've been living through, well, they've not been conducive in the slightest to community. But even as restrictions have relaxed, for some, isolation has continued. It's kind of isolation's become the norm. It's become a way of life. And you know, the longer that goes on, the bigger the barriers seem to be to, to reconnecting, to getting back into community. Now, please hear me. I know that everybody has their own circumstances. This is not about trying to force people to do something that they just can't do. And again, this is, this is why we're still online and it's why we're gonna be starting a live stream in a couple of weeks. And, and a lot of work and investment is going into that because I recognize that for some, your particular circumstances do mean that it's really difficult to contemplate being back in the room at the moment. I do understand that. And we wanna support you in any way we can. 
But I would point out that the online service is intended, in the first instance, is intended as a support for those who need it. But it would be very easy for it to become an excuse for those who don't actually need it. It, it could become an excuse to not come for those who could come. And that is not the intention of being online. Hebrews 10 very clearly encourages us to not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He's saying, don't get into that habit of not meeting together. Why? Well, again, Hebrews 10 tells us it's because when we meet together, we can encourage one another. We can spur one another on. You need others in the church and others in the church need you. We only grow in community. We need one another. And this is a time for tending to one another and looking after each other and lamenting together about those things we've lost. It's a time for worshipping together and encountering God together as God's people. I've talked to some who, uh, who've been to uh, our in-person Sunday live meetings who have said it, this was, it was a really, really big step for them to come. There were big barriers to overcome, to decide to come out of their front door and come through the front doors of the church building. But they're so glad that it did because there is no substitute for gathering together to worship God, being in the presence of God, in the presence of God's people. And you know, I'm so glad that they took that step as well because as Ron was emphasizing last week, your presence matters. Everybody's presence really matters. I think Ron said something like, it, it takes the whole people of God to experience the whole love of God. Because we all carry the image of God in a unique way. You reveal something of Jesus in a way that I can't. You have experienced God in a way that I haven't. And so just by being together, being in the room together, seeing others worship, we can encourage and strengthen one another. And when you're not there, you are missed. You really are greatly missed. We, we connect or we reconnect into community for our own sake, for the sake of others in the church, but also as a sign to the world around us. So in the first century, it was the community and the love of the church that captivated the Roman Empire. And we live in a world of anger and division, anxiety, that is just desperate to see the kind of relational beauty that you can only get in the church because of the grace of God that works in us and through us. It was Leonard Ravenhill who said, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. And likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. So don't stay away from community. Step into community in any way that you can. And if the thought of that feels a bit overwhelming, you know, I think it's about deciding, well, what is a manageable first step for you to start reconnecting? I mean, this will come as a surprise to many of you, but the other morning, I went for a 25-minute run. 25 minutes without stopping. I mean, even the camera is looking surprised. Uh, but, but here's the thing. A few weeks ago, I would not have been able to do a 25-minute run, or if I tried, I might not be standing here speaking to you right now. I've been using a, a, an app, an NHS app called Couch to 5K. Couch to 5K. Now, I've spent many, many years on the couch training phase. But um, this app is designed to take you from no running to being able to run 5K without stopping. But of course, it doesn't start with a 25 minute run. It starts with running for 60 seconds and then walking 
and then running for 60 seconds and then walking and so on. And it builds you up towards the longer runs. I would not have been able to run for 25 minutes if I hadn't taken the much smaller first step of running for 60 seconds. So what is that step for you in terms of being connected or reconnecting? What is the step? It might be as simple as inviting somebody over to your house, which might be something you haven't done for a very long time. I would certainly advise that you join a small group. We've talked about small groups today. That is the best way of being connected. Even if you don't feel you can make every evening, be connected into a small group. Or of course for you, it might be making that decision to, to overcome the barriers in front of you, to come on a Sunday morning. And again, I would encourage you to do that if you possibly can. So be intentional about reconnecting, about staying connected in any way that you can. That is one thing that you are in control of. Second thing, we can be intentional about reaching out. Very briefly on this, of course, there are lots of ways to reach out, but remember, bless. Remember, bless, B-L-E-S-S. B is begin with prayer. Who is on your blessed list, who you are praying for every day to, to come to know Christ, praying for every day to have opportunities to speak into their lives and to bless them? Do you have a list? If not, write down some names on your blessed list and commit to pray for them every day. That is something all of us can do. We can all pray. There is nothing stopping you doing that. So begin with prayer. L is listen. So look for opportunities to listen to those people on your list and also to listen to God for them is eat together because it, it just brings a different quality of conversation when you sit down together over a coffee or over a meal. And then the first S is serve, serve them. Because if you're praying for people and you're listening to them and you're eating together, then they will tell you how you can love them, how you can serve them. And of course, one way of serving someone is supernaturally. We can serve them supernaturally. We spent the whole of last term focused on living naturally supernatural lives. In fact, that that is the normal Christian life, to bring the kingdom of God, the supernatural kingdom of God into people's lives. And as you heard earlier, we're running uh, TSM, Training in Supernatural Ministry this year. So I'd encourage you, get on it, be part of that and keep growing in faith and encourage and in the naturally supernatural lifestyle. And then as you do all those things, you pray, you listen, you eat together, you serve, well then the opportunity will arise for the second S, which is your story. Share your story. Your story of who Jesus is to you and how you came to know him, how he has changed your life. Your story is the most powerful evangelistic tool that you have, and it's yours, so no one can deny it. Now, if, if bless is new to you, just go to forward slash bless on our website for more information. If it's not new to you, keep doing it. Or if you stop doing it, we'll pick it up again and start again. These are things that all of us can do. These are simple things that all of us can do to reach out and to show people who Jesus is so they can find him as their own savior. And you know, we live in a world where people's foundations have been so shaken and so this is not a time to back off telling people and showing people the firm foundation of Jesus and his love for them. So we can be intentional about reconnecting into community. We can be intentional about reaching out. But the other thing is to be intentional about prayer. Be intentional about prayer. Here I want us to take a lesson from the Old Testament. So 
in 1 Kings 6 and 7, we have King Solomon who's building the temple. The temple, really important in, in the life of, of Israel and going forward, the life of Judah, because um, the temple would be the dwelling place of God among his people, just as the temporary structure of the tabernacle had been before. And when the temple was finished in, in 1 Kings 8, the Ark of the Covenant was brought in and it was put in what they called the most holy place, the, right in the center of the temple. And then what happened is the cloud, which signified the presence of God, this cloud filled the temple. God was there. God was there dwelling among his people. And Solomon, King Solomon, he turns to all the gathered people of Israel and he blesses them. But then what he does is he turns towards the temple, towards the altar. And in the presence of all the gathered assembly, he prays towards the temple a prayer of dedication. But the striking thing about what he prays is that it's really a prayer about prayer. It's a series of requests for the Lord to listen to future prayer, the, the future prayers of Israel. So, for example, in 1 Kings 8, verses 28 to 30, it says, Give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. This is Solomon praying this. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day. This place of which you said my name shall be there so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place and when you hear, forgive. And Solomon is praying, he's saying that when, whenever we pray towards this temple, towards this house, towards your dwelling place, then hear from heaven. It's a phrase which is repeated throughout this long prayer. Hear from heaven and forgive. And the, the, the biblical commentator, Peter Lightheart, who I heard speaking about all of this recently, he says in his commentary, he says the temple is kind of like a switchboard. A phone exchange, you know, one of those old switchboards where you would phone on your landline, you'd phone the operator saying who you want to connect to. And they would literally plug you in to the right socket and connect you to the right place. That's how it used to work, kids. Um, well, what's happening here is that you pray towards the temple and it kind of acts as this exchange, this switchboard. It directs the prayers towards the God who is in heaven and he will act. He will intervene on the earth. So next couple of verses, Solomon prays, when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they sinned against you and, and when they turn back to you and confess your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land you gave to their fathers. It's this repeated cry, hear from heaven and act, hear from heaven and intervene, hear from heaven and rescue us. Solomon, throughout this long prayer, Solomon is anticipating every disaster that Israel will face in the future, including exile. So it's when there is famine in the future, when there are plagues, when there are invaders, when we mess up, if we pray towards the temple, even from a foreign land, hear us, Lord, hear us and help us. And the Lord, by being there in the temple, this cloud in the temple, the Lord is saying, yes, I will. I agree. I will hear you and I will respond. And so the temple is this house of prayer. 
It's access to God. It gives Israel access to God. But sadly, tragically, it is consistently neglected by the vast majority of the kings of Judah. In fact, far from turning to the temple in prayer, the kings plunder the temple for gold and silver. So, so they would come under threat from a foreign power, someone you know, like the Assyrians. And instead of thinking, ah, in this situation, I need to turn to the house of God in prayer and then God will hear and he will deliver us. No, they would go to the temple, but not to pray. They would go to the temple to get silver and gold to pay off the foreign invader, to give to the Assyrians as a bribe to, to, to leave them alone, which of course had the opposite effect because the Assyrians would think, well, there's got to be more where that came from. And so they would come back for more. Now, there's only one king that we know of who uses the temple as it was supposed to be used, as a house of prayer. And that is King Hezekiah. You read about him in 2 Kings 18 and 19 in, in the book of Isaiah as well. But Judah has been invaded by the Assyrians. So they're, they're under attack. Many cities have already fallen. The Assyrians have already defeated the northern kingdom of Israel and taken them into exile. And at first, under this threat, Hezekiah does the same as the other kings before him. He, he tries to buy off the Assyrians using gold and silver stripped from the temple. But it doesn't work. And soon Jerusalem is completely surrounded. It, it's besieged by the Assyrian army. This is a serious situation. And Hezekiah receives a letter from the Assyrian king, King Sennacherib. And this letter is basically telling Hezekiah, there's no hope for you. We are going to destroy you. And the Assyrians did have a, a, a fearful reputation. This is a desperate, desperate situation. But what Hezekiah does is he takes this letter and he goes up to the temple of the Lord and he spreads this letter out before the Lord and he prays, O Lord God of Israel, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words that Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. He prays this prayer. He takes the letter into the temple and the results are dramatic. They are so dramatic. That night, the Lord sends an angel into the Assyrian camp and he wipes out 185,000 of them. The, the Assyrians wake up in the morning to find just dead bodies everywhere. And of course, they have to withdraw because they have no army left. And so Jerusalem and Judah are saved. They're rescued. It seems that Hezekiah's decision to take the issue to the temple in prayer was a good decision. It worked. Prayer worked. And so we see that praying to the temple, praying via the temple, it was like the nuclear option. And they always had it. They always had it at their disposal. They always had God at their disposal. How different could Judah's history have been if they had prayed instead of plundered? How many of Judah's failures were a result of its prayerlessness. Now, we don't have the temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed, but we have something far, far better. We have the temple that was destroyed and then raised to life again three days later. We are commanded to pray in the name of Jesus. That is our temple. We're commanded to pray in the name of Jesus, the one in whom the fullness of God dwells, the one through whom we have access to God, the mediator between God and man. Jesus is the one who said repeatedly in John's gospel, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. 
He's the one who prays himself and he tells us, his followers, to pray and to not give up. We're told in Revelation chapter eight that the prayers of the saints rise like incense before God and, and they're followed by thunder and lightning and earthquakes. According to God's word, the prayers of the saints, your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful even when it doesn't feel like it. You know, any great revival in history that you read about, it's rooted in faithful and persistent prayer. How much of human history has been shaped by the prayers of God's people? or conversely, by the prayerlessness of God's people. We don't fully know, but we do know that prayer is powerful and effective. It changes things. And so every time we cry for God's kingdom to come, every time we cry out for more of God's power, every time we approach him with a heart that wants to do his will, it's like incense rising to him and it unleashes power. It's the Bible that tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's James 5, 16. And, and it says that this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, 1 John 5, 14. And just as Solomon turned towards the temple, he turned towards this house of prayer and he said, when your people turn towards this place and pray, Lord, hear us from heaven and intervene. Well, so we need this church to be a house of prayer as we turn our hearts towards Jesus and we pray in his name for God's kingdom to come. And we pray in his name for this town and, and this nation and this world that has no hope other than Jesus. We pray in his name for the gospel to advance and for the mission and the vision that he's given us to be fulfilled. We pray in his name for rescue and deliverance in trying circumstances. And we know that he hears us. He hears us and we know that he can change things in an instant. You know, one of the descriptions of the early church was that they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. We need to be a church that is devoted to prayer, both individually and corporately. All of us, not just a handful of us, all of us together. And I know how difficult prayer can be sometimes. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't describe myself as the most prolific prayer in the world by any stretch of the imagination. But if we want to see God move, if we want to see his kingdom come in this place, if we want to see salvation and revival, we must pray. If we want to know his leading and his guiding in uncertain times, we must pray and we must keep on praying because I don't know what lies ahead, but we know one who does. If we want to know the joy of the Lord and that reassurance of our identity and our inheritance in Christ, if we want to be a community that is characterized, marked by love and by unity, if we want to grow and know more of the power of the spirit and lead naturally supernatural lives, we must pray. We must pray. This is why we encourage everyone to prayer walk over the summer, to cover our town in prayer. It's why I'd urge you to be part of the prayer and fasting over the next couple of weeks and to be involved with our regular early morning prayer that will resume in a couple of weeks. The question is this, are we gonna be like the kings of Judah who always had the nuclear option at their disposal, but they never used it, seeking instead their own foolish solutions to the threats that they faced? Or are we gonna be like Hezekiah who turned to the temple in prayer to a God who hears and a God who responds. So 
on this Vision Sunday. Apologies if you wanted a clear picture of the road ahead or you wanted clarity on our Hazelmere site or anything like that. I can't give you that right now. But my encouragement to all of us today in this disorientating uncertainty that we've been living through and that we continue to live through, my encouragement is to cling on to God's promises that don't change. He is a God who starts a good work and then he brings it to completion. He has told us that he has many people in this place. That is still true. He has told us that we will be a church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. That is still true. And let us focus not on the things that are out of our control, but on those things that are in our control, those things we can do to go after those promises of God. Reconnect, reach out, and overarching all of that is prayer. Let's be a church that is devoted to prayer. Amen. Amen.